like I said, that trauma and that gaslighting is so fundamental to like our expectation sensitivity, our need to document things. When you ask us a question, like our need to give you 30 reasons why we made the decision we made, because we know how badly these things go, but they don't have to if you create a more neuro-inclusive family structure. Episode 56, Lessons in Chemistry is Autistic. Welcome to the Autistic Culture Podcast. Each episode, we dive deep into autistic contributions to society and culture by introducing you to some of the world's most famous and successful autistics in history. Before we get started, a quick disclaimer on how we use the word autistic. The purpose of this show is not to diagnose the people or characters we discuss as autistic. While some may have announced being autistic, what we're really sharing here is our observation of what is representative of autistic culture. It can sometimes be difficult for autistic people to celebrate our natural tendencies and traits due to the perception of autism as a disorder that needs to be fixed, a long history of damaging medical interventions to get autistics to fit in with mainstream culture, and protective masking skills many of us have developed to try to stay safe. Whether you are autistic or just love someone who is, your hosts, Dr. Angela Loria, the linguistic autistic. And licensed psychological practitioner, Matt Lowry, welcome you to take this time to be fully immersed in the language, values, traditions, norms, and identity of Autistica. Autistica. Hey, Angela. Hey, Matt. It's good to see you. I know. I am excited. Our listeners won't know this, but we have been on hiatus. So we have not been recording for, uh, we took off a few weeks to kind of do, we we did our uh, meat body maintenance episode. So Matt and I uh, practiced yes. what we preach. We were doing our own meat body maintenance. Um, and while we were off, we were both doing some fun research. So I'm excited to hear what oh, you yes. have brought to me for today's episode. What yes. will we be diving into? So, so uh, uh, one of our listeners uh, alerted me to the fact that there was a very special piece of uh, media that is very autistic centered, and that is the book and Apple Plus TV series Lessons in Chemistry. Ah. And and I think uh, I thought, oh yeah, Lessons in Chemistry. Chemistry uh, is a very academic subject. I'll check it out. And when I did, oh my god. I, I still maintain that Beauty and the Beast is the greatest autistic love story of all time, but this is a very, very, very close second. It is and, real. It is some autistic love, which is perfect because we're heading into Valentine's Day. If you're listening the day this drops, this is our little love note to you guys. And if you all are uh, there with significant others and they also happen to be autistic or AUDHD, by all means, dive into the book, watch the Apple Plus TV series, uh, make some uh, exquisite uh, meals using chemistry. And, and this is the way. This is how we show affection for each other. Dive into each other's special interests because this is this. Uh, this is a textbook uh, for those who are listening. I'm holding up the book itself uh, for those uh, when you get to see this on YouTube. Uh, so, so, so this is this is this is a thing about the book. 
from the very beginning that gets me because we'll get we're we are going to spoil the living hell out of this. Oh we're yeah, going to, spoiler we're, alert. We're going if you to haven't spoil- seen it yet, and you aren't like me. By the way, I enjoy things more if they have been spoiled for me, because then I can uh, watch for the details without Expectation being all freaked out. Yeah. So if you like spoilers like I do, keep listening. If you haven't seen it, uh, and we we will not ruin it for you. It is still beautiful. But if you are somebody that hates spoilers, I respect that. Come back to this after you've watched or read. River Song would not, you know, chide you for that. So yeah, yes. <laughs> but and and again, trigger warning because there are some elements of the book uh, that are a little rougher than others, and we will be discussing uh, a few things that might uh, be upsetting. We'll, we'll we'll discuss them as uh, you know trauma informed as possible. Mm. Uh, yet they are integral to the plot of the books uh, yeah. I, and the and the TV show. So uh, be warned about that. But uh, yeah, so the the first thing about this book is I love from the very beginning that uh, if if you're watching this on YouTube, if you buy the book, you will notice that the book comes with a bright pink. A dust jacket with lipstick and sunglasses, and it looks like a very ultra feminine book. But when you take the dust jacket off, it looks like a chemistry textbook. And yeah. that that detail alone, someone put a significant amount of thought into the fact that the book itself is masking. Okay, listen, I know the publishing industry very well. Uh, For those of you who don't know, I am a publishing expert and an editor. And I can tell you there is one and only one person who could have cared about that enough. And that would have to be the author because publishing is filled with neurotypical people that are not great at attention to detail unless the author is a complete pain in the ass about it. So I have a theory. Oh, do you? You uh, uh, do you want to expound? Well, it has to be the author. I mean, there's a there is clearly a very thoughtful detail here, and when you notice that sort of attention to detail, so the way publishing works is it's group decision making, and it's a very hierarchical industry. So you're working with someone whose main goal is to please their boss while not letting just saying that because some of the hierarchy thing seems to be not saying what we're doing. I don't really understand any of that. This is the wrong podcast for that. But so you have to pretend to your author, you're giving them what you want, but really you're giving your boss what they want. And really what your boss wants is what he thinks his boss wants. And by the way, you are probably a woman, but your boss is probably a man because that's how publishing also works. So it is a field of neurotypicals and it's a field of generalists. So if you want something very specific, like to look like a chemistry textbook, the generalists aren't even going to think of that. So I think we have some evidence about our author, at least her, um, this aspect of attention to detail that's part of autistic culture. And maybe her characters rubbed off on her. But that would be my guess here is this was an author's idea. Yeah, and, and I that attention to detail alone got me into the book because if you're if you're going from the very first on this, that that 
it's beautiful. I love it to death. And, and when you see that, right, it's probably other yeah. places. Like my it husband is. is like um, the more chemistry person of the two of us. And when I read the science, he is like predisposed to like just hating any science in a novel. And he could not complain. There was definitely attention to detail on the chemistry too. The, so so this is another thing about it. So uh, it, it turns out that uh, we're, we're including a link to an interview uh, with Bonnie Garmus in the show notes. And she actually studied chemistry for several months to get this stuff right. And uh, I, I actually talked to a, a woman, an AUDHD woman who is currently a teacher, but in her former life was a chemist and she she paid very close attention and indeed this would be period accurate chemistry because again you know uh you know uh, you, you may not have as much protection in the 1950s as you yeah, would I was gonna today say, we didn't say this but this is set in the 50s yeah so. Yes. And, and yes, but uh, apparently everything is very accurate to the, to the point. So a lot of, uh, a lot of detail, a lot of bottom up processing went into the production of this. So I, I am very impressed with the details. I am very impressed with the characters. Uh, the book, uh, given the structure of the book, given the way that the, the characters are written, given the way that it jumps around but has incredible detail about it, the book comes at me from an AUDHD perspective. What do you think? Mm, that is very interesting. Uh, I will say I, no surprise, liked the book more than the show. And I thought the show was trying to do some extra stuff to like attract audiences. But I did find with the book, it does, it does jump around a bit. I can see, I can see that assessment. Um, I also think there is a literary component um, of where that kind of flow works. So there's definitely good structure to the book, Um, Mm -hmm. but but it covers a lot. It does yeah. cover a lot and it covers a big time span in a short amount of space. It does. And that's the thing about the show, because each episode uh, goes pretty deep into a specific time period or a specific character or a specific element of the plot, whereas this kind of, you know, blends everything together. So it was rearranged for the purpose of the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, some elements were changed. Uh, again, we'll talk about those in a minute. Uh, spoiler heavy. But I want to talk about the main characters, Elizabeth Zott and Calvin Evans, yes. because they... They are two of my favorite characters possibly ever written. I love them to death. Uh, uh, when, when, I first, uh, when I first watched the show, uh, Elizabeth Sott is played by uh, Brie Larson. And I've included uh, some links to Brie Larson's web, uh, uh, to her YouTube page, specifically to her, her experience with interviews. And she talks about her intense interest in acting since she was uh, a child. When she didn't get specific auditions, she uh, had gigantic emotional outbursts and once ran away from home. Uh, she was up for the role of Ray in uh, The Force Awakens. Uh, she went for Spy Kids, uh, for uh, the new Sarah Connor in The Terminator, but it went to Amelia Clark. She went for The Big Bang Theory, Thor, Avatar, Transformers 2, Juno. Uh, oh. Yeah, Hmm. but apparently she was rejected thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Uh, She didn't even get the role in the unicorn store, 
which again is a very autistic centered role. Uh, but uh, again, five years later, they said, hey, would you direct it? And she said, yes, I'll direct it. And I will cast my damn self. Thank you very much. And so and I have to say, if you don't know Brie Larson, my experience of her in this role is she is very traditionally pretty and feminine based on kind of social norms. She's like a super skinny white lady with blonde hair. Yeah. Um, but this character has a little Audi gender thing going on, don't you yes, think? Yes, 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 very much. Because again, uh, there's a big uh, component about, I do not want to get married. I do not want to have children. She's fairly sex averse because of a sexual assault uh, during her college days, which again, uh, is unfortunately incredibly common among autistic women and AFAB mm-hmm. people. Uh, there, there, there are not statistics on the sexual assault rate of men uh, or, you know, AMAB people but, or trans people in general. But uh, yeah, the, the, I believe that the rate is like 92%, maybe 94% of all autistic women are sexually assaulted before the age of 18. Yeah, so. and she, in this role, uh, there's a obviously a love story between her and Calvin who we'll talk yeah. about. And she is, I would say, demisexual. Yeah. Oh, yes. Right? Yes. Which yes. is nice to see represented. You don't, uh, I mean, when does that come yes. up in a TV show? And that's the thing because she is, she does not have a traditional physical attraction to anyone. She never wants to do anything. And then when she sees how brilliant he is and how awkward he is, uh, at first there's a big thing uh, because in the book, there is an issue with, you know, she needs beakers and he's hoarding all the beakers as one does. Uh, in the show, she needs ribo. Uh, because she's uh, she's conducting her own experiments with abiogenesis, as one does. Uh, and he has ribose, she does not, so she takes some of his abundant ribose. He's very frustrated because he needs his ribose, as one does. And uh, this, this initial confrontation leads to mutual understanding, leads to mutual appreciation, and leads to a great demisexual romance. And, and meanwhile, there are... Uh, the character of Calvin is sort of like a little bit famous. Yeah. Um, he's been on the cover of, I think, Time magazine. And he is conventionally attractive as well. And yeah. there are all these neurotypical ladies looking for an MRS degree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They think yeah. he's going to be a big earner. And so they're kind of throwing themselves at him and saying, oh, you're so cute. She doesn't even seem to notice he's cute or not cute. She noticed he's got his, her beakers. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. Rados, yeah. depending yeah. on which. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. There's, there's a big uh, component in there about uh, how, especially in the book, about how uh, Calvin has all of these first dates that never lead to second dates because he'll be like, hey, would you like to know about my work in great detail? And they're like, well, I would like to talk about shoes. The or, weather. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that there is a date. I think we see in one of the first episodes, Calvin on a date. And it's like a bad info dump date that I had yeah. a lot of those. I was the yeah. info dumper. Yeah. And you, you could see the person's phasing out. It's just I noticed it, you know, two hours in. Yeah. And so and this is a thing about autistic romance and demisexuality and understanding who we are. Because again, these info dumps are windows into our soul. Because if we feel comfortable enough with a person to info dump about a matter that we find very important to us, that is a bonding moment. And I personally 
love a good info dump. And it mm. takes it takes a lot of persuasion to teach people who are highly messed that we do love a good info dump. And but but that's the thing. The the info dump is a love language for us. Yeah. When we info dump, we show that which is important. And if somebody is receptive to it, that is a bond. That is romance right there. And and again, when he info dumps with Elizabeth Zott, oh my God, sparks fly. And she but info like, dumps. Compare oh, yes. that um, to the conversation they have in bed about their family histories. Oh, yeah. Um, which is as brief as possible with yep. as few details as possible. Important details. Yep. Like if we're going to be in a relationship, you're going to have to know. Yeah. And that is a very short conversation as opposed to let me talk about my research and show you every graph and every study I've done and every permutation I want to test in the future, which would keep me going for 800 years. Like totally this is the way. Yes. Yeah. My my sister and I were talking about this and she's like, but I don't really care about this topic. Uh, like, don't you get bored? And I was like, I use this example. So she has um she has a friend who's gone through like some big emotional trauma stuff, court mm -hmm. cases and, you know, messy divorces, custody, whatever. And I don't know her friend. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm never going to see her friend. I'm not going to be friends with her friend. I'll probably never bump into her friend. Mm -hmm. But I always ask about her friend because I know it's important to her. Mm -hmm. And so I'm interested in the story because I'm interested in her. Not because I'm like, what? I don't need that data. Yeah, yeah. So like we've done shows like our show on aquariums. I'm not going to have an aquarium. Like I don't, I don't want an aquarium, but I care about that person. Yeah. And so I care about the info dump and she's like, yeah, but don't you get bored? I'm like, not really. And I don't get bored when you talk about your friends that I'm yeah. never going to meet either. Like, yeah. Because it's, it's, that's how we unlock the emotions because we, we, we very much vibe with that passion, the intensity because when somebody cares a lot about something, we care about that person. So therefore, we care about them caring. I'm like, oh, that must be important to you. Let me yeah. listen to why. And yeah. then, yeah, and you, I you love contrasting normally... that with the family because we talk, we talk, you talk. We have T-shirts. You can get them at Public that say friends, family, and fictional characters. And they're equal, right? Like the font is equal. They're equal sizes. They're equally important. Those fictional characters or your research or for me, the band Crowded House, those hold the same weight as the friends and family you feel most connected to who yeah. are basically like our special interests. And if you're not a special interest as a person in my life, I'm probably not going to want to talk much about you either. And you can see neither her family, the person she talks about most is her brother, yeah, who was clearly someone she was connected to. But the others, I don't have time for that. Yeah. Chemistry to do. We love sharing stories of autistic culture. And if you are seeing yourself in any of these stories and you're wondering if maybe you're one of us or maybe you're already diagnosed or self-diagnosed and you want to know if Matt can help you live your life better and be more authentically autistic. 
check out his website at mattlowerylpp.com. That's Matt, M-A-T-T, Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y. And then that LPP, it stands for Licensed Psychological Practitioner. So head on over to mattlowerylpp.com and learn more about working with my buddy, Matt. I also like uh, uh, the the show. Uh, a brief tangent with her brother. Uh, in in the book, there is a brief mention of uh, trigger warning her brother's suicide because he he was uh, tormented by her, let's say, con artist uh, religious parents for being gay. And in the show, uh, he was the one who taught her chemistry rather than her kind of picking it up from her con artist, con, con artist father. And I think that that makes the, uh, the dive into chemistry way more meaningful because she picked up that interest from someone that she cared about. Oh, I and that I, connection. That's I, I really, really like that change. Mm. Uh, it, I, I found it especially tragic when, you know, uh, because again, a, a lot of our people are, uh, you know, queer because we do we do not subscribe to traditional models of sexuality, traditional gender roles, traditional anything, because again, we, we look at it from a scientist standpoint of why do people do that thing? Why, why is this the standard? Why do we do these things? And uh, the, the, the top-down processors do not like to be questioned. And that was a very big thing, especially in the 1950s. Right. And she was like, yeah, he was a homosexual, as one is. And it was just sort of a thing. And right. uh, again, I really, really like that in the series, he taught her chemistry. She loved chemistry. She loved her brother before he took his life. And, uh, his, and trigger warning for the show. Uh, he took his life in a more violent manner in the show than in the book. But again, it, mm. it, it underscores the whole desperation to get out of that situation because, uh, I, I think that many of us have been there that sometimes a situation is so bad you have to leave it by any means possible. And in the 1950s, a queer boy did not have many ways out. Right. So, but but again, it's a brief thing in the show. It's a brief thing in the book. I don't want that to uh, sour your perception of this because again, Elizabeth Zott is a wonderful, wonderful character. And I really, I had a major crush on Elizabeth Zott, the character, uh, while reading and while watching this. And again, it's not even because of Brie Larson's physical attractiveness. It's because she's fucking brilliant. And uh, so one of the greatest scenes in here uh, is uh, it plays out differently in the book than in the show. I love in the show because uh, it's revealed that Calvin just forgets to eat as one does. He often subsists on saltine crackers. And she says, you must be very constipated. Very normal, matter of fact. Chemistry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He he eats peanuts and she's like, she she's very frustrated because you should not be eating in a lab because that is not proper procedure. You will contaminate the lab. You might kill yourself, you know. So she has a very big interest in chemistry and this translates into cooking because cooking at its heart is just chemistry. So she she is she conducts experiments at home in the kitchen to create the perfect lasagna with the perfect you know caramelization with the perfect you know melting point with all this and she brings food into work and she gradually starts to feed him and he this is 
this is one of the most beautiful autistic love story parts that I've seen because, you know, he's just sitting there and they're talking work and talking work and he's like, oh, this is very good. And then she starts like feeding him more and feeding him more and he's just sitting there. And this is a language of love where, you know, she is taking care of him. She is nurturing him. He grew up, uh, again, spoilers here. Uh, he, he grew up in an orphanage because he believed his parents to be dead. Uh, different circumstances in the book and the, the, uh, the TV series. In the book, he believes that his parents were killed by a train. In the, the series, he's never really told that how his parents died. He's, they're just dead. And, uh, he, he grew up very, very much alone. And to have someone have this basic respect, have the, this, desire to nurture him to take care of him to to care about his meat body and he he goes into a lot he's he's into erging uh if anyone is uh, apparently rowing is a very very intense sport and erging is this machine that you will row at home so you don't have to get out at five in the morning and go out on a cold lake and row to you know build up your muscles he's also in the 1950s into jogging which and is apparently total craziness. <laughs> total craziness. And yeah, it's, he's very much into maintaining his meat body that way. And, and in the show, he comes across as very ADHD because he needs constant stimulation in order to think. Uh, and that's a big change from the book to the show. In the book, he listens to Frank Sinatra. In the show, he listens to jazz. And jazz can be more chaotic. Jazz can be go into new directions, as he puts it. And it, it gets his brain thinking about new things. And it's too chaotic for Elizabeth. She can't deal with the jazz. Uh, she, she, uh, but they come to a compromise. They will listen to different music to accommodate both of their brains, which is beautiful and romantic. Yeah. So I want to talk about that just as like an application in your household. If you have mixed neurotypes or just mixed needs. Yes. Uh, I, when like, I cannot function listening to jazz. Like I would not be able to think or write. Um, and so I think there are different ways that people we live with, with different neurotypes. It's like, well, I can't ever listen to that and you have to listen to it and whatever. And they find this compromise where I can't remember if it's every other day, but there's an, there's a schedule. A and schedule! That I could get with, right? Like if I just, if there was going to randomly be jazz on, oh God. that would mean to me like <laughs> I could randomly not work and I wouldn't know when it was. But if yeah. I knew like Monday and Wednesday mornings, there's going to be jazz on and he plays it far too loud for my yeah. taste, I would set aside tasks to do then that would be more manual or I might bring my headphones, but I could work around that. So I love how they kind of naturally schedule it. And if you have different neurotypes, that's a nice technique. Yeah. And in the beginning, there's a lot of misunderstandings, especially with Calvin forgetting to leave the door open so she can feel safe and feel the ability to escape as needed because of you know the, the prior sexual assault. She has a, uh, a PTSD response to the door being closed. Uh, but uh, initially, they can't communicate. They have difficulty opening up. They have difficulty talking about their needs. But as it goes on, they they find this way to communicate and to establish their needs and to be very, very clear and negotiate 
what they need, especially since, again, she has no intention of ever getting married. She has no intention of ever changing her name. She has no intention of ever having a child. She, she, she says all this up front. This is what I need to be me. And he says, well, I need you to be me. So we will take care of your needs so that you can meet my needs. And it's, that negotiation is just fantastic. It, I, I believe that the negotiation is done better in the show. It's more polished in the show. Mm-hmm. There's a brief moment of semi-screaming at work in the book that made me a little uncomfortable. But again, after the brief moment of intense screaming, they they essentially agree that they're going to be together forever without getting married. But that's... Yeah, it takes a weird turn. Yeah, it's I I think that it was more polished for the show. Mm. Uh, But again, it's I see it as, again, like a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy sort of thing where, you know, the interpretation is there, but the 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 core is the same. But uh, yeah, I I really do like that negotiation. I I love the scene where Calvin is picking out the ring because before she says she never wants to get married, uh, of course, he wants to get married as is tradition. And as everyone has been told from birth, you must get married. So he, he looks for a ring, but he doesn't want something ostentatious. He doesn't want something gaudy. He doesn't want something, you know, he wants something. traditional. Well, he, he wants something that fits her mm-hmm. and simple yet complex. So mm-hmm. he chooses a very small, brilliant, multifaceted diamond because she 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 is multifaceted. She's not gaudy. She's not ostentatious. She's she's who she is, and she's brilliant. And I that that hit me because that's that that is my ideal. That uh, to to find someone who is multifaceted and has all mm-hmm. these great interests and has all these wonderful aspects to her, and uh, doesn't need to you know walk around with uh, like you know I don't. I don't know. I'm I'm thinking Miss Piggy here with sparklers oh, yeah. in her hair, you know, because anyway, but that that was a very touching moment for me because that's that shows that he understood her. And oh, my God, to be understood is one of the greatest things. If you have never, ever been truly understood or been truly seen. OK, I, yes, yeah. but I got to represent for the ladies here. Oh, go for because it. Because what he does not truly see is the difference in what it means to get married as a chemist, as a scientist first. Yes. As a woman in the 50s. Especially in the 50s. Yeah. If she marries him, she's Mrs. Calvin Evans. Yes. If she marries him, her husband is a chemist. Like, yes. It is very hard at that point to hold on to your identity. Yes. And get married. I mean, Mrs. Calvin Evans, where is she in there? There's nothing of her left. And she did explain that. And I think when you are a white presenting as a white straight male in the 50s who has academic success and is on the cover of time, it's very difficult to see what the loss is. He's like, oh, this could be good for us. We could be a power couple. And he does go to bat for her, gets her grants, tells people she's smarter than me. Mm -hmm. But, you know, look at what happened to um, Einstein's wife. Both of them probably autistic. That's probably an autistic love story. And yet her entire identity was lost and he gets credit for what is probably at least 50% her discovery. Well, I mean, uh, like like in the show and in the book, uh, they do a lot of their research 
you know, well naked because, you know, That's this is the goes. way yes. because yeah, they, they spend a lot of their time talking about work. They spend a lot of time talking about their research and their ideas about abiogenesis. And I have no doubt that Einstein and his wife are the same way because when two autistic people get together, you talk about all your special interests. Especially even shared. Yeah, right. exactly. Yes, and especially yeah. while naked. Perhaps. Exactly. This is the way. And th this is a big thing because she wants to maintain her identity and explaining that to a 1950s white male who is prestigious, that can be difficult, but it's totally understandable because yeah. she wants to maintain her name. She wants to maintain her identity. She wants to maintain her profession. Why wouldn't you? Right. And this is so a I thing of traditionalists. I don't think he saw her in that moment, but I yeah. do think they navigate it pretty well. And I think it's yeah. accurate. Like we talk about the double empathy problem and why relationships are easier if you are with another autistic person in some ways. That doesn't mean there are no problems or nothing to negotiate. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's always going to be something to negotiate. And if if you want to find a way forward, the negotiation is part of the process. Right. And they were definitely on board with that. And like in a place where she was super flexible, was moving into what was his house. Oh, yes. So, uh, different circumstances in the show and in the book. But uh, again, from a very practical sense of it, uh, it's cheaper to live together. It's right. easier to commute together. Uh, there's a tax benefit. There's all these sort of things. And uh, and that's, that's the thing about in the show. Uh, he's going to give her the ring. But again, he realizes that that's not necessarily what she wants. So he gives her a key. And uh, in the book, you know, she's the one who comes up with the pragmatic approach in the show. He's a little pragmatic about it. But again, the end result is that they get to spend lots of time together and do research while naked because, you know, that's the greatest benefit of all. Yes. And, uh, and so this brings us to like 630. And the, the yeah, the, the show is very, very different than the book. Uh, there's the same. So 630 is the name of Elizabeth Zott's dog. And in the book, they agree, yes, we should find a dog. And they happen upon 630, who is a failed uh, bomb sniffer dog. Because uh, in the book, so in both the book and the series, uh, there's a lot of incredibly cognizant thought from the dog uh, about his PTSD from being a bomb sniffer. And that, uh, well, you know, best case scenario, you find the bomb and the humans get to, you know, de-bomb it. Uh, worst case scenario, you jump on the bomb and you explode. And he would prefer not to do that. And he has a lot of anxiety. And, uh, but in the show, uh, Elizabeth Zott finds 630 through, rummaging through her delicious trash because, again, she's an expert chef because of chemistry and 630 cannot resist her food. And she says, oh, no, don't eat the food. That'll hurt your stomach. Here, have fresh food. And 630 is like, well, I'm living here now. That's just all there is to it. <laughs> and and uh, he, he wakes her up every morning at 630. So that's what she names him. In the show... Uh, I think Calvin, she actually met uh, him at 630. It was at night. Oh, it was oh, like oh. at dinner time when she uh, met him and she like looked at her watch and she's like in the in the show anyway it, yeah, well yeah, yeah and in the book, in the book. It, well, well that's the thing that's how she that's uh that's his origin in the book because ah, calvin says oh, what's right. this and she 
I believe maybe misunderstood the question because, oh, it's 6.30. And that that's that's the difference in it. And that, that so yeah, that, that's how 6.30 got his name yeah. there. But either way, 6.30 becomes Calvin's running buddy because as she says, I will never be doing that. Because, you know, <laughs> meeting his needs in a way because, you know, he likes jogging. I, I am not a jogger. Uh, I, I, uh, I appreciate those who are joggers. I know many runners. Uh, I am not one of them and I can understand that. And having 630 meet those companionship needs. But at the same time, this also leads into the unfortunate situation of Calvin's death. Mm. And it's very, very different in the show than in the book. Uh, in the book, uh, uh, 630 again has PTSD from all the bombs going off. So he's very averse to noises and Calvin is running during a thunderstorm and there's thunder and 630 freaks out and runs off because he has to be on a leash. And in doing so causes Calvin to slip on an oil patch near a police station, cracks his head on the pavement, and then he's run over by a cop. Yeah. So, not that, you know, enough autistic people are not killed by cops, but right. uh, in, in uh, the, the show, uh, especially in episode one, because I've watched the entire series twice all the way through, uh, in episode one, Calvin tends to be a bit distracted and is nearly hit by a bus. Mm. And then at the end of episode two... Uh, yeah, a little foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah. At, at the end of episode two, uh, 6.30 is very nervous and is hesitant to go into the road. And Calvin says, no, come on, come on. And then he's not looking and then he's hit by a bus. Yeah, uh, he's like pulling him and then he pulls the leash off the, his neck because yeah, like yeah. it was the beginning of leash laws, yeah. which I thought was like a cool bit of history brought into there. And he thought it was dumb and they probably didn't have it tight enough for the right leash. And then he falls into the road and falls into a bus yeah yeah and and that uh, leads into a big story about uh, it uh, uh, as uh, oh so fran frask fran frask is a very very different character in the show and in the book in the book there's a, a brief period where her boyfriend is infatuated with uh, elizabeth sot so she becomes a rival in the in the show she's very much matter of fact I am an office manager and I will do the office manager things and I must do these things. And if you hate me, that so be it. But they become begrudging friends. Then they become good friends. And then Elizabeth hooks uh, her up with her new husband, the her producer. Uh, but in the, the book, there's very much more of an antagonistic relationship that leads it's into... It's more two-dimensional because yeah. we've got, you know, to do it on TV. Exactly. It. A little more fun. Yeah. But, uh, but, but, uh, anyway, there's a big thing about how uh, she mentions Calvin left you a little gift because Elizabeth is vomiting in the bathroom after his death. Turns out she accidentally got pregnant. She did not intend to get pregnant. Uh, and then she, she says, well, I thought it might just work itself out. Uh, because, you know, you, these things don't necessarily work out and she she becomes the mother of an autistic girl yeah and we're going to talk about madeline or mad, mad. Uh, in yeah. one second but i want to just briefly go back to 6 30 and point oh, yes. out that she is teaching 6 30 how to speak how to speak and recognize uh, because there's this conversation about how many words can a dog learn can she teach him an entire human language or multiple human languages 
And I think this is such a great like example of autistic culture and how our monotropism can show up. Oh, yes. We'll hear a sentence like how many words do you like? We know dogs know whatever, sit, stay, come, go. And then you get this idea in your head like, oh, how many words could they learn? Is it 10? Is it 20? Like, what's the maximum number of words? And then we must find out and build spreadsheets. And she literally has a spreadsheet and is teaching him words. Of course, as um, one does. And uh, and obviously some of this is fictionalized, but it may, I don't even have a dog. And it made me want to go find out if anyone has really taught a dog that many words. So well, have, have you seen Bunny? No. So, okay, so uh, there is this woman who has built an, a very large AAC device to teach her dog, Bunny, how to speak. And Bunny has demonstrated incredible complex thought, including looking at the mirror and saying, why is dog? Why is dog? Because Bunny wants to know why Bunny is a dog rather than a human. And, or a bunny. Oh, or a bunny. Yeah, and having a very complex existential crisis of, I really thought I was a human. What is up with this? And uh, this woman is documenting this whole journey of teaching Bunny to speak with the AAC device and the surprisingly complex thought that comes from a dog. And it's it's very related to 630. Having this complex inner monologue that he cannot express to the humans when she's asking, I wonder if he knows human words, but he has all this complex inner world, as we often do, even if you're not able to speak. And, and she sort of builds him with those words into these like Rube Goldberg machines almost yes. yeah where he has jobs because when assistant. calvin is gone she yeah. needs a lab assistant so she has to train them on these words and tools so that he can carry things move things turn things on yeah. turn yeah. something off he I can can't pull levers yeah pulls levers yeah so i that's fascinating think I think this is interesting because our relationship with animals is often different at, oh, in yes. autistic culture. And we do a lot of anthropomorphizing and sort of making assumptions about how animals are feeling and what they're thinking. And who knows if she really, or if it's possible to teach a dog this many words, but I do think it is a huge part of our culture to believe it's possible, like yeah, whether yeah. it is or not. Because uh, we want to relate to our animals. We yes. want them to be sentient. We want them to be our uh, Disney-fied animal companions because this is the way. Yes. So I just wanted to, I want to go on to Mad, which is ah, oh, my favorite God. character in the book, but I want to just stop oh, and say yes. that relationship with 630 is so key to autistic culture and pets in our culture. Oh, very much so. We are thrilled to announce the launch of the Autistic Culture Podcast Tea Public Store. Woohoo! You can now get t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, and more featuring original designs related to autism and our show. Whether you want to showcase your autistic pride, spark conversations, or just share your love of the podcast, we've got some cool merch options for you. And guess what? Our paid subscribers on Substack get a special 10% off code for the store. If you subscribe to our newsletter at autisticculture.substack.com, you will get exclusive subscriber content plus a 10% discount code you could use at our Tee Public merch store. 
Every purchase helps support our show, so if you want to proudly display your autism ally status and values, browse the store today and be sure to tag us on social media showing off your gear. We just want to say thanks to all of our listeners and our paid subscribers, especially for making this podcast possible. All of the money from our Tee Public store goes to pay our amazing staff, and we could not do this without your support. We hope you love the merchandise. I love it, Matt. I, I'm very excited about it. I can't wait for my mugs and magnets and stickers and uh, various pillows to show up because there's a certain source of pride that comes from having your quote on a pillow. So I'm excited. Find us at Tee Public or look for the link in the show notes. So this is the thing about Mad, because uh, Mad's introduction at the very first of the book is talking about how she was an early reader, as one is, and that uh, there's a problem with that, because unlike other skills, everyone eventually learns how to read. So uh, people don't take it as you know big as it really needs to be taken. And uh, they, they just find being precocious to be irritating. Because, you know, when a child asks complex questions and when a child challenges authority and when a child, you know, says, I know big words and the adults don't know those big words, it can be very off-putting for the neurotypicals around us that, uh, you know, you, you are very much into the research and you know all these big words and other people don't. And MAD certainly fits this. So Elizabeth, when making MAD's lunch, will give notes to her, uh, life lessons, uh, play sports. Don't let the boys win. Uh, you know, remember that, uh, uh, when, uh, you're frustrated with, what is it about uh, being frustrated with people and they're, they're as dumb as you think? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not just you. They are dumb, but yeah. yeah. But that's the thing that's mad is the driving factor behind the majority of the series because she wants to know who her father is. She wants to know where she came from. Uh, there's a class project about a family tree. And she says, yeah, I, I don't know anything about my family because my parents never talk about it. Well, my mom never talks about it. And Elizabeth has to go into some trauma about, you know, her brother and about her con artist parents. Uh, and then she never know. She never knew anything about Calvin's family. So that drives the rest of the story, uh, especially after they run into Reverend Wakely. And I, I think that in the show, there's a more of a bond with Reverend. And again, so there, some of the elements uh, uh, were changed from the book to the show. For instance, uh, Harriet and what's Charles? Uh, what, is that Harriet's Her husband? Oh, Harriet's husband. Yeah, uh, yeah it might be. Yeah, I can't uh, remember her husband. Yeah. He wasn't a very big character. Oh, well, yeah, and so that's the thing. In the book, Harriet is described as uh, an overweight, white, middle-aged woman. But in the book, uh, she is a black uh, paralegal becoming a lawyer. Uh, uh, and so a, a big direction is changed in the series. To and she really hates her husband in the book. Yeah, she does. She does. There's a huge level of loathing in the show. Uh, he's not there a lot because he goes off to war. He's a medic in the war. Then he comes home and he's a workaholic. Uh, he's like the chief of surgery. He's a black man who's a chief of surgery in the 1960s. And and she is a lawyer in the she's 1960s. equally hardcore. Yes. Yeah, they're both yeah. pretty amazing. And, and in, in, in order to, you know, talk about this 
how did these black people achieve so much despite being in the 1960s and have all these uh, you know adversities? Uh, they they talk about being in the Sugar Hill neighborhood, so they relocate the entire show to the Sugar Hill neighborhood in the 1960s before you know the 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 highway was highways put were built through. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it back in the day it was uh, let's see here there was a Supreme Court decision in 1948 that said that black people had the right to live next to white people because again that's to, to anyone with sense that makes sense but again from a hierarchical uh, racist perspective that was very upsetting so uh, uh the sugar hill neighborhood had a lot of affluent black people and like uh hattie mcdaniel lived there ray charles lived there that was it amazing was, it was Char- and charlie parker wasn't it charlie Char- parker oh yeah charlie parker was there yeah. too uh yeah oh they both lived there yes oh my god Crazy. it was it was the like a salon for the most influential black artists musicians the the elite thinkers of the day and uh, uh in the show again uh you know uh, calvin says oh yes this is close to work and it's on my run route i will buy a house here and they're and you know he's starts listening to jazz and uh, uh they they're like hey somebody's listening to jazz that must be a really nice black dude who lives there because they've got some taste and so uh they they go over and harriet yeah harriet <laughs> goes over and she was like charles we got to get out here now yeah that's not because she spots him in the window and then he opens the door and says oh hello and they're like hi we have food for the person who lives here and he's like oh good come in because again they're expecting him to be racist and all this other stuff but again he's he's oblivious to why anyone would be racist why would you he, be racist he's makes obliv- no sense in autistic he, culture <laughs> yeah he's oblivious to sex discrimination and elizabeth has to explain that to, much like explaining why she needs to keep her name much like explaining why she wasn't given the ribose or the beakers oh, uh, the joys of privilege the exactly. things you get to not know <laughs> exactly and he was not aware of this privilege and uh, in the show she was not aware of her privilege so this is a and, and this is another big thing about uh, i believe that this was a big influence from uh brie larson because Brie Larson is a very, very outspoken advocate of uh, uh, equality and equity. And she makes a big push for all of her projects to be re- well represented. And I believe that that's a big reason why the, the Marvels had a big representation from uh, Tiana Parrish as, uh, I believe Photon is now, her, mm-hmm. in the comics she was Captain Marvel for a while. Now I believe Photon is her superhero name. And, and of course, uh, Ms. Marvel, uh, Oh God, what's Ms. Marvel's name? Oh God, she's such a super, she may be one of us, uh, but oh God, she she's a fantastic kid. She gets so enthusiastic. She's now writing comics. Uh, oh God, it's, it'll pop. The people in the podcast are, you know, screaming that yes. they know the name. Uh, but again, I'm in the past. I can't hear you. Also, you don't have a microphone. Why are you doing this? I don't but know. Leave it in the comments. Well, leave it in the comments. Let me know how wrong I am, even though by this time I will have looked it up and repented. Amon Vellani. Amon Vellani, yes. Oh, God, she's so great. I, I googled that uh, one for you she's, guys. <laughs> she's, she's such a great kid. And oh, my God, she's so nerdy. She's fantastic. But I believe that Brie Larson had a big push towards equity and inclusion uh for the show and for you know her other projects uh but she's also a great fan uh, she's also a great friend of sam jackson who's in the unicorn store and kong skull island and uh, there's a whole but anyway i i i it's my theory that that was a big push for this 
but it, uh, I I like the change. I believe it gave some perspective because, uh, you know, again, uh, I, I did not see a lot of uh, Harriet in the book. I, I, I think that she was a more interesting character. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that character in general is just so reflective, I think, of... Um, the kind of the dream of uh, of raising a kid in autistic culture because her mom just gets it and she still sends her to school and she still has a Harriet's like a nanny in the yeah. book and there and Harriet is very neurotypical actually oh, yes, in, very. I think in both characters even though they're totally different characters yeah. she's still very neurotypical and she sort of teaches Mad the rules. And says she has to do it. But when Mad goes to her mom, her mom's like, yeah, that's a stupid rule. Like, yeah, here's yeah, like, yeah. here's what we're going to do instead. Yeah. So, like, what happens and where a lot of autistic trauma and, like, I love separating autistic culture from trauma, but you sort of can't. Like, a lot of yeah. Irish culture is influenced by the potato famine. Yeah. And, and you could call it the potato famine or you could call it the colonization of the English and <laughs> the English stealing all of the Irish resources. And so the that, English call it what? The unfortunate hunger or something? Yeah, I mean, the unfortunate <laughs> hunger that we caused. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, exactly. They're like, they're like tragic farming situation. These things happen. They call it the famine, right? Yeah. Um, but really what was happening was that Irish people had been colonized by the English and they had to send over all their food. So you would have to put your food on a ship and then you would starve and your family would starve. Yeah. So that might lead you to drink. Yeah. And so drinking and music are big parts of Irish culture, but they're also informed by trauma. So yeah. as an autistic child, Almost all of us, and not mad, but Madeline, not mad, but most of us were gaslit yeah. by our families and told that our questions were annoying or pedantic. Yeah. We were told our sensory actions were histrionic or dramatic. Yeah. We were told we were difficult. And Matt is told none of those things. She's and and her best friends are my best friends growing up, which is the reference librarians. Oh, of course, um, of course. I love those yes. scenes where she, the reference librarian they're going through phone book after phone book. She's like, "I'll just read all the phone books." Yes, yes, I'm like, yes. yeah, girl. I yes. guess you. I love and, that so much because uh, uh, that's she's the hero of the story. Because who do you go to when you need knowledge? A librarian. A librarian. And, and, and we the, love you, Because there's so many people who say, yes, that's a very difficult task. Just give up. But the librarian says, ah, yes, we shall search all of the phone books. We will, yes, we will just read all the phone books. We will yes. find microfiche. We will find another card catalog. Research, you say. Interlibrary loan. Yes, uh. yes. We will not give up until the answer is found because if there is something to research, we shall research. We shall research it with assistance. So I just love, I, 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 I would like the sequel to see how mad turns out. Yes. Oh my Not God, there's so much room. Gaslit. Because like, yes. what is our culture? Like I said, that trauma and that gaslighting is so fundamental to like our expectation sensitivity, our need to document things. When you ask us a question, like our need to give you 30 reasons why we made the decision we made, because we know how badly these things go. 
but they don't have to if you create a more neuro-inclusive family structure. And that really happens. Harriet is definitely a part of the extended family and she's welcome. Yeah. Um, but also Elizabeth is the mom and no, we just tell the truth. I, I can't yeah. imagine. I don't know if they covered Santa Claus, but I can't imagine <laughs> she like perpetrates the Santa Claus lie. It just wouldn't fit yeah. the science of that. Meanwhile, yeah. the rest of us are like, wait, everyone lied about that. What yeah. else are they lying about? Exactly. I, I I really suspect that Bonnie Garmus, the author, that mad is her character that mm. because again the timelines add up the 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 uh, just this is the natural way that things progress line up i i think i uh, the according to interviews with the showrunners a second season is not off the table but mm. again there would have to be source material to back it up so if she ever wanted to do a life story about mad mm. growing up in the 70s and the 80s being an adult in the 80s and 90s and be you know uh so that's Being, how Elizabeth Zott's story started. She yes. has an unpublished book that was about Mad that had Elizabeth Zott as a minor character in it. Yes. And then she expanded that and turned it into Lessons in Chemistry. But originally she was writing about Mad. So there you, you go. There, I, I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Yes, that that is, of, of course, it makes so much sense. And yes. yeah, and in doing so created one of my personal favorite literary characters ever. Yeah. Uh, I, I love how, and again, so, so that leads into the cooking show because uh, in order to make friends at school with the neurotypicals, because it's very difficult as a, a, a precocious child with a very specific vocabulary with very specific interests to make friends with, you know, people who don't understand you. So she trades food for friendship because everybody's like, oh man, you've got the greatest lunches ever. So she gives away her lunches in exchange for friendship and mm -hmm. that's how uh, that's, that's the story of my life there you go that's mm -hmm. again this is the way and when elizabeth saw it, elizabeth is very very attentive to detail attentive to mad's growth her weight maintaining an optimal diet and she notices that mad is losing weight despite being prepared these lavish nutritional dishes uh so she's she quizzes her one day and is like, how'd you like that? Oh, it was great. I did not prepare that. And like where, and turns out that she's giving away her lunch to this producer's daughter. She goes to chew out the producer and the producer is like, would you please cook for us? Uh, because you know, the producer says, Hey, that's a great cooking show. And, uh, in the show, he's played by Stuart, the, the comic shop owner from big bang theory, very autistic coded character. And, uh, the, the, the ultimate boss is played by Rain Wilson, who, again, from The Office, is autistic coded depending on the day, depending on the writer, depending on the needs of the show. Uh, it's it's incredibly inconsistent and unfortunate, but seems like a good guy in real life. But, <laughs> but that's the thing about this. It's uh, she because in, in the show, I don't think that her success is as great as the book because the book she gets syndicated and like Lyndon Johnson talks about how great uh Oh yes. Uh, she, how great her show is. And, uh, she's, uh, she's incredibly famous about all this stuff. And yeah, the show is interesting. It's like mixed. 
it's never just one thing. It's never, ju- it's obviously a big hit in different ways in the yeah. book and the film, but it's never just one thing. It's very, it's complicated. There, there are fights with studio executives, threats that it's going to get canceled. There's much that happens, but it's definitely too successful in both cases to just shut it down. And it's, I find it ironic for the TV show because, uh, uh, again, Brie Larson has had a lot of issues with, you know, producers and directors and all that kind of stuff, but she's an executive producer on this show. So she's the boss of the show about a character who has issues with the boss of the show. So I, I love the meta context behind all of that. Totally. Yeah. And the other thing I love about the show is like the like set decoration. Like oh God, they're yes. trying to get her to act and like be neurotypical. So they set up the set the way the kitchen they think it would be or research. And she's like, no, 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 we're doing this my yeah. way. I mean, yes. feel free to cancel. Yeah. But we're doing it my way. And again, great, uh, you know, Many people can see or view autistics as being like difficult or um, r- rigid. What do they call it? Moral rigidity or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, in a healthy way, and the way I see it is we have a very boundaried culture because yes. we know what works in our culture and we know what doesn't. And it just is what it is because it's not going to be another way. So, exactly. We do the way yes. that works for us. Yeah. When autistic people find a special interest, they go deep and have a lot of knowledge, even if they don't have that formal education background to go with it. If you want to capture your spin in a book, check out Angela's work at differencepress.com, differencepress.com, and find out more about becoming an author and establishing your credibility with a book. So another thing about the set is like, you know, the the fake fruit, because again, it's all set dressing and keeping all this like trappings, it's masking, you know, uh, with the whole set and seeing what, you know, they, they think that people want to see versus actually having the space necessary to do the thing that you want to do. So, you know, Elizabeth Sott comes in very practical and saying, no, no, this is all pointless. Get rid of it all. And that's the and way then, that like, she gives it away. Yes. She's like yes. Giving it to the audience. Yeah. 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 They, they paid for the props. They paid for all this, but it's unnecessary. So she just hands it out. And Not that's, only unnecessary, but got in the way. Like yes. what's actually important here? You said you wanted my cooking. My cooking requires my kitchen. So yeah. I will make decisions as appropriate. And, and that's the big thing because there's so much, uh, so much about the whole masking thing, so much about the trapping of, hi, how are you? I am fine. It gets in the way of actual work. And this is a fantastic exploration of that because, you know, it, it you, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. You got to have the resources. And if you're too busy doing the fluff and the image, you can't do your best work. You can't and be your best specific self. specific language. Like I forget the one... In one of the early episodes of the show, she uses some specific language. I think it meant like butter or it was like some regular. Oh, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And then they had all the calls about it. All the calls saying, what is this? It was molasses or butter. It was some standard thing, but she described it with a very specific scientific term because yeah. that is important. 
Yeah, yeah. And she never talks down to the audience. And like the scene with, uh, oh man, the woman who becomes uh, the, the doctor. doctor. Yes. And that, that gets me. Oh, oh because God. again, it was like, oh yeah, I, I, I like researching and well, you should do it. Well, you know, I'm just a woman and I'm a housewife and like, you should do it. And then she later on, she does it. Yeah. And that's, I, I love when, you know, all the audience get out their notebooks because this is, this is a thing about our people that I love. Whenever I do a consultation, whenever, you know, doing a training, whenever there's people on there, I know that they're invested. I know that they're data processors because they have their notebooks. Yeah. And we, we love notes. We love more information. I love that investment. And seeing the audience, everybody in the audience had their notebooks. They were there for business, man. Yeah. That it wasn't just fluff. It was something significant. And that's, God, I, I felt it and I loved it. It was so great. Yeah. And, and the, in the book, I don't think they talk about this in this TV show, but they talk about the, uh, what do they call it? Like the sleep, the afternoon sleepy hour. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, they're like sleepy and she's got to kind of wake them up to go do the biggest part of their work day, which is making dinner. Yeah. And, um, and, and. So they'd been programming fluff there. I think she replaced maybe a clown show or some yeah. something fluff. And there's a kid and he's watching it and the clown show's not there. And there's this lady who's not going to play by the rules. And he's like, his, his mom comes by to like turn off the TV because he's complaining. And she's like, hold on, let me get my notebook. I got to watch this. This is for me. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the thing about, you know, uh, Elizabeth Sott sees this as, and indeed it is accurately, uh, that it's uh, an important mission to sustain yourself, to sustain your family in healthy ways. And it's not just about cooking. It, it's it, Cooking is a significant activity that keeps the family together, that keeps humans going, that fuels our meat bodies. Yeah, and I want to talk about that meat body thing because her last line of the show. So of every episode of Supper at Six, she ends it by saying, children, go set the table. Mom needs a minute to herself. Yes, yes, yes. For yes. some autistic body maintenance. Yes. yes. That, I love that to death. And, and again, she, she's talking about how she did all this work for her family. And this is also self-care time. That balance there is, it, it's so, so great. And it's never really pointed out how poignant that is and how important it is for the audience, especially because, again, uh, the audience has probably been told their entire lives to focus their entire being on the people around them instead of on themselves. And yeah. it's great. It's fantastic. I love it. Yeah. So um, we've definitely talked about how masking shows up in the show. Um, we have talked about autistic relationships and double empathy. We've talked about audi gender and demisexuality, which tie in here. Uh, obviously, we've talked a lot about data collection and special interests and your career. Um, and we touched on, but maybe we could talk a teeny bit more about uh, social justice. Because there uh, is social justice in in this, well, especially it's hard, the show. 
Yeah, yeah, because that's the thing. It, it's it's uh, hard coded into the book, and the show really expounds upon that because, like, w- so with the book, it's got like the whole Denati thing, and you know how the uh, you know the the reputation is built on stealing. Well, uh, even the 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 dude who sexually assaults Elizabeth early on stole all of his research from other people and just renamed it. Denati, the the lab boss, does pretty much the similar stuff. the The producer for the show, the the ultimate boss, tries to take credit. In the book, he dies, but in the show, he doesn't. And it's all based on. Oh, hey, uh, it's all based on uh, this this whole thing about. Uh, whether or not you're able to make a big difference in the world around you. And on the show, I think that that's, again, a big thing about how, uh, you know, uh, Brie Larson comes into it and changes the perspective on it and makes it a bigger thing. And she uses the show not just to, you know, promote uh, her ideals, but to promote social ideals as well, which is ironic because I think that it's a meta reference or at least it's representational because I I believe that since uh, Brie Larson is the executive producer of the show, she had a hand in changing the content, just like uh, 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 Elizabeth Zott is able to change the content of her show. So I think it works out really well. I'm very impressed. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's going for social justice, going for, you know, representation of women. And she wears pants, like the way she that does. she gets it in there. I thought yeah. that was like a And they beautiful- planned it for weeks. Yeah. And she and like people, she had co-conspirators on the staff because oh, she yes. knew it would be the end of the world. Like people would freak out. Um, some of the, the things tampons. she does with her sponsors. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I was going right there. Yes. Um, so this is the thing about autistic culture is when you notice and again, our like any culture, our culture like affects the broader culture we're a part of. Um, But when you notice somebody who is the first to wear pants, uh, taking a stand like that, that is very emblematic of who we are. That doesn't mean that person is autistic or diagnosed as autistic. But one of the goals of this project is to say like, oh, I can recognize something that's Italian or that's Swedish engineering or, you know, German engineering or Swedish design. What is an autistic culture moment in there is her finding a way to wear pants, finding a way to get the staff paid. When oh, they yes. Were about oh, God, that's a good a one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Because that's the thing. She 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 felt like she was tied because she didn't want to accidentally hurt other people. So when she found a way to take care of the other people, then she was no longer constrained by the producer. And that's this is the way. This is the way. Uh, I absolutely loved this show. I thought it was really on point. And I think when you are watching it or watching it again, because it is definitely one I will watch again, you will catch so many details uh, in all aspects. In cooking, if you know about cooking, in rowing, if you know about rowing, in chemistry, if you know about chemistry. (laughs) It it is a buffet for bottom-up processors. Yes, indeed. This is the way. So so that's uh, that said, hey, Angela, uh, what was your favorite part about being autistic this week? Well, I am very excited to share with you my autistic moment of the week. It's actually my autistic moment of February, uh, which is 
I got married again. Oh, did you? <laughs> yes. So I have a fun little love story of a uh, masked and unmasked relationship. So when I met my husband, I had been diagnosed for about a year. I definitely didn't tell him. I didn't think it was a big idea. It felt like a um, private medical matter that I would deal with with my doctors. It didn't feel like a part of my culture, who I was. Like I also had an ingrown toenail I didn't tell him about. Um, and then like over time, I disclosed it, but it was like, let's not talk about this. This is just like a bad private medical thing I have in my history and hopefully it won't negatively affect us. So I tried to mask and I burned out and he was frustrated and it, yeah, and it was not a great part one of our marriage. And then as I began to do more of my own work as an autistic, autistic advocate, closer to what you learned about in the um, autistic centered therapy episode. So go back and listen to that one if you haven't. I was able to be more of myself. Um, we actually realized Paul was autistic and that was probably part of why we had connected in so many ways at the beginning. And one of the big things I will say that changed in version two of our relationship is our ability to kind of non-dramatically advocate for our needs, like to yes. know what our sensory needs are particularly and then to be able to advocate for them. I think I've maybe told a story here that I've always known I had ear problems. I always had ear infections growing up. I always had ear problems. Um, I really struggle with TV. Um, and so we always have the captions on. Of course. Um, I have to, I adjust the volume. Why would you not? Right. I probably change the volume 30 times. If there's like background music, like I got to lower it. I got to raise the volume, lower the volume, raise the volume. Also, that's hard to do while you are researching the show on your phone as you watch it. As we do. I can't just watch a show. Like, no, you have to have IMDb pulled up. You know, right, you, have to have, obviously. you have to fact check as you go to make sure that the chemical compound is accurate. Correct. You know. Correct. Yeah. And so, but what I didn't realize is I have significant auditory processing challenges. And of so we had all these fights around my auditory processing that came off as you're not listening to me or you don't care about me that are now much more mundane, like, oh, that's actually an auditory processing issue. Let me slow down. Let me write that down. If I can't have captions, um, one of the things I always felt bad about is we struggle to have difficult conversations, like in person. A lot of that is alexithymia um, and interoception issues. We now do a lot of our relationship conversations in writing. And over days, because we need processing time and research time. So um, just being able to know who we are and advocate for our needs and advocate for our relationship has made V2 so much better. So we finally That's pulled awesome. the trigger and I married the same guy twice. So done. This is the way. I like that. I like that. Welcome to the autistic wedding. That's that's fantastic. Yes. It was it was definitely much less uh, produced than my fully masked wedding, which was also very autistic. But for the audience, this one was just for us. So that's awesome. That's uh, and, what I got. and we're airing right before Valentine's Day. So this is another story of autistic love. Yes. So this is our love story episode. 
So enjoy it. I hope you find your autistic loved ones, uh, whether they be romantic, aromantic, or whatever you've got uh, for your fictional characters count in our book. Do something you love this month um, and celebrate who you are and autistic culture. Then tell us about it over at autisticculture.com. Thanks for listening to the Autistic Culture Podcast. If you like this show, you can help other people find it by taking a few minutes to rate and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can find out more about writing your book with me at differencepress.com. That's difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E, press, P-R-E-S-S.com. Or getting a psychological evaluation or consult with me at www.mattlowrylpp.com. That's M-A-T-T, Matt Lowry, L-O-W-R-Y, L-P-P, as in licensed psychological practitioner.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, no one ever changed the world by being like everyone else. Special thanks to our content manager, River Robbins, and Aaron Stoner, our producer, for making us look and sound good. Thank you.